The following is a message from Reverend Ken Melvin of Wellsprings Congregation. Many of you <laughs> might remember the 90s sitcom Friends, and maybe you remember this character, Phoebe, the kook of the bunch, the free spirits, the folk singer without much talent, but with a lot of uh, drive and, shall we say, uh, chutzpah and presence. Well, in this one episode I want to talk about today, she was invited to uh, sing uh, folk songs, like traditional folk songs for kids uh, in the New York City Public Library. Some of you might remember this one. Now, I think they were expecting along the lines of, you know, Old MacDonald had a farm and, you know, nice, pleasant things like that. But Phoebe had a different take on kids' songs, and so she started uh, to share some songs with the kids about... Um, uh, you know that those cows that goes moo in the in the meadow, that becomes your hamburger. <laughs> that um, when you grow up, kids, eventually you 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 want to avoid this, which is that you want to avoid sleeping with someone to get them to like you. <laughs> so this kind of truth telling did not stand her in in good stead with uh, the powers that be at the public library, so they fired her. But here's the here's the the final uh, clincher to this to this episode which is that she's back at Central Perk, which is the coffee shop in which all the friends hang out. And there's this kid who enters breathlessly. And, and he asks, while Phoebe's up at stage, is this, is this the place where the singing lady is who tells the truth? <laughs> yes, it is. And about 50 kids come crowding in because they want to hear the truth. They don't want old McDonald had a farm. They want to hear the truth that sometimes adults hid from them or are hiding from them. And here is the thing. A lot of the traditional songs that are still sung to kids have a lot of truth in them. A lot of truth about some of the difficult parts of life. Some of the things that cause us pain. Some of the things that cause us to struggle in this life. Like, I know an old lady who swallowed a fly. It's pretty jaunty, but I love this song because it is one of the best explanations of what addiction is actually like. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly, the cat to catch the rat. It's all about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. The illogical logic of addiction, the behavioral patterns, the chase, the fix, the just one more. That somehow the thing that you did before that caused you harm, if you just put something to that, add something to that that might cast a little bit more harm, then somehow magically you'll be free. <laughs> and all the challenge and the heartache will go away. And yet we hear in this story all this action and no progress. Just this character, the old lady that's followed the fly, digging herself a deeper and deeper and deeper hole. Perhaps she'll die. And then finally she reaches the one animal that kills her. It's kind of a little bit fun to joke about the fact that there are these real-life messages hidden in these classical kid songs. But the messages they share, there's nothing funny about it all. And I thought of the old lady who swallowed the fly this past week. Because when I left here at Wellsprings last Sunday at 1 o'clock, I got an email and then a text from a friend of mine telling me, and he couldn't quite believe it, that this person had died. Philip Seymour Hoffman.
my favorite actor. I'm still a week later finding myself in a tremendous amount of mourning for his loss. For who he was and for the characters that he brought to the screen that spoke to me in all kinds of different ways over the last 15 or 20 years. Philip Seymour Hoffman, one of the most gifted actors of this generation. Philip Seymour Hoffman, dead in his mid-40s because of a heroin overdose. Philip Seymour Hoffman, as some of you have learned in this past week, and I knew for a number of years, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who at one point in his life, after leaving college, he knew that his life was not going to progress both as a person and his craft as an actor was not going to progress if drugs and alcohol were going to continue to be a part of his life. And so he had at one point 23 years of consecutive sobriety. Until obviously he didn't any longer. Lost his way for reasons that all kinds of people are speculating about. And the sad thing is that there is no perhaps with Philip Seymour Hoffman. He died. People, and I know this from my own internal experience, people caught in addictive behaviors and compulsions know what it is to race nowhere. To have the experience, just like the old lady who swallowed the fly, one more, one more fix, one more fix, except it never arrives and it just makes things worse. This racing nowhere of all this action with no progress or depth in this life. To me, the image of racing nowhere is kind of captured by what this creature is doing right here. Now, it's fun for a dog, right? <laughs> I think it actually serves a purpose for a dog to chase their tail. But I've never met anyone who was addicted, who in chasing their tail and in racing nowhere experienced anything other than heartache, heartbreak, and misery. This weird combination of both spinning and movement and being absolutely stuck simultaneously, this is addiction. There's an old story I heard some years ago about uh, hunters many, many years ago who were, um, uh, you know, engaged in an unethical craft, which was to um, poach monkeys out of the wild. And they found that they didn't need to use any weapons in capturing these monkeys. All they needed to do was to set up a cage with bars in the cage and then in the center of the cage that would attract the monkeys, they would put this really... Uh, sweet meat, this, this bait that the, the monkeys found absolutely uh, delectable to them. And the way that the bars of the cage were set up is that the monkeys could get their hands through the bars of the cage. But when they grabbed this delectable treat, this bait, they wanted as much of it as they could get. Gorging themselves, seeing only this hand away on the other side of the bars, they wanted to pull out as much of that meat as they could. But here's the thing. They couldn't get their hands through the bars while it was holding the bait. Most monkeys didn't let go. They just figured they could find a way to do it. So the monkeys didn't have the bait. The bait had the monkey. And for any of us who know what the experience of addiction is like or love other people 
who have been or are addicted. The bait for us could be the food, the drink, the drugs, the pornography, the unhealthy sexual relationship, the bedding. I mean, we as human beings, it's one of the truths about ourselves. We can turn almost anything into an addiction. Almost anything into the spider that's to catch the fly and the cat that will catch the rat, all the way up to that place of the horse if we are most unlucky in our addiction, and it will take our lives from us. The thing that we think will take it all away, adding misery to misery, that fix that we imagine exists, it is the fix that breaks us, and we find ourselves stuck. Uh, There's a guy named Bob Mould who was uh, one of my favorite songwriters. It was a band uh, called Husker Du that some of you might remember from the 80s, if any of you remember musically back that far. I'm starting to feel a little bit old right now. Well, Bob Mould struggled for many years with a profound sense of personal inadequacy and struggled to accept himself of who he really was to be with the truth of his life. And it came out a lot in his songwriting. And in the band's last album, he wrote a song called Up in the Air that has these lyrics. He wrote about poor bird flies up in the air, never getting anywhere. How much misery can one soul take? Trying to fly away might have been your first mistake. How much misery can one soul take? Trying to fly away might have been your first mistake. What I have found to be true in my experience of healing from alcoholism is that that healing begins and is sustained by knowing that ultimately we cannot get away from ourselves and I cannot get away from myself. And yet for years that is exactly what I sought to do and what so many addicts try to do fruitlessly. As John Kabat-Zinn, the great mindfulness teacher, once said, wonderfully so, epigrammatically, wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) It's absolutely true, isn't it? Wherever we go, there we are. And yet the active addict refuses that invitation to be with themselves, just as I refuse the invitation to be with myself for decades. Learning to be with our experience and to not seek cheap and ineffective exits, that's the healing from addiction. And it is very much an expression of the power of with that I've been speaking about over these last few weeks in this last month. There's a phrase in the Hebrew Scriptures, which if you've ever studied the Hebrew Scriptures in seminary or in college, or uh, maybe you've just heard this in other churches, there's this phrase that comes up over and over again in this scenario that comes up over and over again through the Hebrew Scriptures. The simple Hebrew words are hineni, hineni, which means translated simply, here I am. Here I am. This phrase shows up all the time in the Hebrew Scriptures when, interestingly enough, the divine is already reaching out and searching for human beings. And yet, for various reasons, perhaps addiction, perhaps the shame that comes from sometimes being alive, perhaps the reticence we have to really being fully present in our lives, people hide from that divine presence. Until, very often as the stories go, they say these words, Hineni, I am here. You can locate me. You can find me. I am accountable and present. 
I am tired of running from myself. In a different tradition, the beloved Buddhist monk Pema Chodron talks about as a title of one of her books, and it's a fierce wisdom, it's a lovely wisdom, it's a tough wisdom, which makes it the best wisdom that there is. She talks about the wisdom of no escape. This has been life-saving to me as a person in recovery. The wisdom of no escape. Wherever I go, there I am. Wherever any of us go in this life, there we are. And yet over and over and over the experience of addiction is the refusal to be present. The willingness to be present, to say I am here, is the power of with, and it is a primary way that those of us in recovery and those of us who love people who are in recovery come to know real healing in this life. Heard a wonderful expression of this from this pulpit, not from my mouth, a number of months ago when Kathy Burke Howe got up and shared the story of her charged full living, her charged full story of her experience of spiritual depth in her life and also through her experience here in Wellsprings when she said these words, I couldn't care less about what happened after I died. I couldn't care less about what happened after I died. But I knew for sure that I needed salvation every day of my life from a cunning, baffling, and powerful addiction that wanted me to commit a slow-motion suicide. What Kathy spoke to reveals the depth of any truly transformative spiritual path that so many religions miss. The goal of this life is not to die and get elsewhere. The goal of this life is to live fully, to live fully, love generously, and to be who we are called to be as we talk about in our core beliefs here at Wellsprings. As I think it was Richard Rohr, the great contemplative Catholic teacher, said the question of our time is not whether there is life after death. The core spiritual question of our time is whether there's going to be life for all of us before death kind of spirituality that trans life before death is only the kind of spirituality that can soothe an aching heart and an addicted mind and a compulsive soul. Indeed, I think the arc of spiritual maturity can be expressed by movement between two different words. Two different words, one of which is going to come up in a moment here, one of which, which too many religions kind of focus their content and their dogma about, and it's going to come slowly fading over to the side, wishing. We all have wishes. We all have wants. Many of these wishes are wonderful things. But when religion becomes about wishing for some other place, some other time, somewhere else, by definition, it's a religion that cannot transform our lives. But moving from wishing to this, a word that is not a word, but is going to be a word here today, to move from wishing to withing. This is, by the way, what Thich Nhat Hanh talks about every single week when we quote Thich Nhat Hanh in our meditation. One conscious step, one conscious breath can create heaven on earth. Withing, not wishing, creates the conditions of true transformation. It creates the conditions that let us know that whatever else we might imagine heaven to be someday, and I do believe there is some aspect of human consciousness that survives death. But what I also know is this, is that people who have made a hell of their lives here on earth 
will not even recognize whatever heaven might be in the life to come. They're not prepared for it. It's one of the reasons why I claim for myself a name that is common to so many people and for me gets to the heart of this path. It's why I call myself a recovering alcoholic. The key word is recovering. Not recovered. Not past tense. Because what more than 20 years of active alcoholism has showed me over and over again is that alcohol is in control of me when I try to have a relationship with it. I'm the monkey not being able to let go inside the bars, wondering why I'm caught not being able to let go and be free. I've tried it every way. I've tried it every way imaginable. I tried, uh, you know, drinking scotch and not beer. I tried drinking beer and not scotch. I tried drinking only after 5 o'clock. I tried drinking only on weekends. I tried drinking only on vacations. I tried drinking only with other people. I tried drinking only by myself. I tried drinking only with days of the week with the letter Y in them. Uh, <laughs> that is a way to try it, by the way. And over and over and over again, it didn't work. So the recovering is so important for me because it keeps me humble. And it makes me remember what my past was like. Yes, almost eight and a half years later, but Philip Seymour Hoffman had 23 years. Being humble is remembering that alcohol is of no benefit to me. But even more importantly, why I claim that name of recovering alcoholic is something that I learned, really learned, like learned in my heart a number of years ago when I, in earnest, began my mindfulness training, both as a student and as a teacher. If you've been in one of the mindfulness groups that I lead, you might notice this language, words that end with I-N-G. Very different if I say Cheryl. Imagine. Notice your breath. But if I say Carl, if I say to Heather, noticing your breath right now, becoming aware of what's happening, versus be aware. The ING words have a sense of durability over time. We're always noticing, rather than just saying, ah, I've noticed, now what's next? The point of the recovering, not the recovered, is something that's attributable to Emerson, one of our great teachers in our tradition. I actually don't think he said it. It doesn't diminish the wisdom of it. When he said this, supposedly, what lies behind it, what lies behind us, and what lies before us are small matters compared what lies within us. That invitation from the words of the great teacher are all about maintaining a conscious contact with this life, a conscious contact that is always saying, as long as we are recovering, we are always learning. As long as we are recovering, we are always uncovering. As long as we are recovering, we are always discovering. Life is not finished, is not past tense. Even and especially, I found this to be true this ING way of living is so important with the things that are scary, with the things that I don't want to pay attention to, with the things that frighten me. It's the reason that we chose the song for today. 
with those opening lyrics. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Imagine if Paul Simon, it's Simon and Garfunkel, but as you might know, Paul Simon wrote all the lyrics. So it's, if Paul Simon just changed that last with to a two, hello, darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk to you again. I almost imagine a little finger pointing here. I've come to talk to you again, darkness. Don't be so dark. I've come to talk to you again, darkness. Please stop being so dark. Almost begging, you could imagine. Almost scolding or whining. But that attitude of with is what creates the conditions as we heard earlier on in that line. Hello, darkness, my old friend. With the power and the attitude of with, we can learn, even if it's scary, most often when it is scary, how to befriend the darkness of our own lives. Because if we sit with anything long enough, we can learn it to the point where we love it, even if we don't like it. We can find, and I found this to be true in my spiritual practice over the years, that even silence has a sound to it if we're with it. Even absence has within it a profound sense of presence and being with. Even darkness has light. This is the power of with that expresses itself as a radical sense of acceptance and hospitality of our lives just as we are. And because we're accepting our lives just as they are, we find within us a resilience. That's why I think these Hineni stories, these here I am stories are so important and scattered all throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Is because the minute that the characters in those stories say Hineni. Here I am. The divine that has been in search of them their entire lives shows up. I don't care if you call it God or spirit or a higher power. It's that by making ourselves accessible, accountable and presence, no longer running away, no longer doing what the old lady who swallowed the fly does, just adding misery to misery and misery. But to really say, here we are and present, even in the midst of things that trouble us, opens us up to the capacity for a real depth of spiritual relationship with this life. Right here, right now, not waiting for another day, but right here, right now, in the midst of who we are and how we are. Creating these here I am spaces, creating these here we are spaces is one of the most important aspects that I've seen of what we've done here at Wellsprings. And in a particular way, yes, we are opening more and more space for here I am and here we are presence through our addictions and recovery ministry. I want to share with you a couple ways that we're going to extend this over the next couple of months. We're going to start a group called Contemplative Recovery. It's going to meet twice a month and it's going to be for anyone from any path of recovery, any path using the spiritual tools and practices of yoga and meditation, which have been demonstrated over and over again by getting us out of our heads and into our hearts and into our bodies and into our lives to open ourselves up to the truth of what we are living with right here, right now, in this moment. And this is not just an individual path. It is also a path of togetherness, a path in which we recognize that we're not alone. And so here in this room on Saturday March the 1st, we're going to show a movie called The Anonymous People, a documentary about the recovery movement and about people specifically who are claiming the rights of recovering people to continue to speak in such a way openly, proudly, and with humility so that we can help to destigmatize this disease, this brokenness of heart, 
so that we can in our recovery move beyond shame. Because this is one of the most profound truths that I have learned over and over again in the time in which I have been active in my recovery. I am not alone. And we are not alone. And when I was an active alcoholic, I thought I was so alone. I thought my problems made me terminally unique. Who could ever possibly understand my suffering? Whoever could possibly understand my pain? Well, as it turns out, a whole bunch of people can. But first, I had to declare my own. Here I am. You can find me and I can find you. And because of this, we are not alone. If we can do this, then we can live a healing life. And we can participate in the healing of other people's lives. We can't make the healing for them, but we get to participate, which is a better thing. Because we get to see them do it for themselves, while we do it for ourselves. And together we are all made stronger. And so I want to end with a little segment from the West Wing. Some of you might remember this character, Leo McGarry. If you uh, remember nothing else from today, just remember that uh, maybe you want to go home and watch Nick at Night because I started and closed with great shows from the 90s. <laughs> Leo McGarry, the fictional character, is the chief of staff in the West Wing for the president. Leo McGarry was played by John Spencer. Both the character and the actor lived all the way up until the time of their death. Both of them in recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The character, Leo McGarry, tells a story that people could imagine the person, John Spencer, telling. And perhaps some of you recall this from the show way back in, I think, 1997 or 1998. It's one of the favorite moments for me of the show. And it's about Leo McGarry talking about those who were there with him in some of his darkest, most difficult hours. He tells a story about a guy who's walking down the street one day and perhaps not knowing where he's going, not paying attention, or perhaps simply because this is how life is sometimes. Sometimes the trap door just opens up underneath us because we didn't even do anything. And this character finds himself cast down into a dark pit, a dark hole in which he has no idea how he is going to get out of. And he yells for help. Please help me. Can someone help me get out of this hole? And he finally sees someone come by and it's a, a priest. The priest comes by and, Father, can you help me out of here? Can you help me out of here? The priest takes out a prayer book, pocket, throws the prayer book down, moves on. Man does not get out of hole. <laughs> Keeps yelling, pleading, help. Can anyone help me get out of here? A doctor comes by. Doc, can you help me? Can you help me get out? Doc opens up. Their pocket takes out a prescription pad, writes a prescription, tosses the prescription down in the hole. Man does not get out of hole. Until finally, still yelling, pleading for hope. After hours, the person in the hole looks up and sees the face of a friend. Can you help me out, buddy? Can you help me out, my friend? Would you help me get out? And the friend looks around and jumps right down in the hole. And the friend who was down in the hole says, what the hell did you do that for? 
Now we're both here and we're both stuck. But the friend says, this is why I'm down here with you. Because I've been down here before. And I know the way back up to the light. Follow me. In being with your life today, in being with your sadness, your celebration, your loss, your grief, your hope, your joy, in being with the lives of others today, in being with their sadness, their celebration, their mourning, their joy, their hope, their loss, their hearts, in being with life itself, may you and may all of us find our way. Amen. May you live in blessing, but rather actually, may you live with blessing. Let's pray together. God of with, of abiding presence, spirits, Alpha and Omega, and all the moments in between. With our lives today, with honesty, fearlessness, and courage. May we invite ourselves to say, here I am. Here I am with heartbreak. Here I am with hope. Here I am with wholeness. In the presence of other people's lives today, may we say to them, here I am. You are not alone. We are together. Today, may we say to this life, Perplexing, baffling, beautiful, challenging, eternal life. On and on and on life. May we say, this day, this one day, here I am. And may we, by our presence, be blessed. Amen enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.